You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What's up, Poodat Nation? Welcome back inside another episode of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu, and this is the first time since January that we're going to have an actual episode here where we're not just previewing, we're making a prediction for a Saints football game. It's felt like a while. It's felt like almost two years with the way 2020 has gone. It's been stressful. It's been tough, but we do have football and the first game of the season is going to be an exciting one. We got the Saints versus the Bucks, and in a normal year, the Bucks are that team that's the forgotten brother or sibling, whatever you want to call it, the black sheep of the family in the NFC South. You don't pay too much attention to them. You talk about the Panthers, and you obviously hate on the Falcons. But this year, it's different. It feels like the Buccaneers are the main team in terms of the topic of conversation because of Tom Brady, because of the Gronk trade, because of everything they did this offseason. So when you turn on ESPN, you turn on an NFL network, the one team you hear on those networks and outlets the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because of the attention that Brady brings to that franchise. So it's going to be a marquee game. It's going to be the game of the week for Fox. It's going to be interesting. You have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call, and it should be an excellent game. And I will give you my predictions and matchups to look forward to in that one. But before I get into everything, just remember, guys, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. It really helps out the the podcast. So please, if you haven't done already, do so. It takes two seconds, not even uh, it's free. doesn't cost you anything. If you have the time, please do it. I greatly appreciate it. Now, also, if you haven't, there's a Patreon page I will link to. I'm going to put up my Monday recaps, which is uh, it's going to be more like an article slash column. Uh, that comes with the Patreon page, and it's also just your way of supporting the podcast. It's literally $2.99 a month. It's not costing a lot, um, and, and it's a cool way of getting additional perks. I'm going to have exclusive podcasts just for Patreon once it gets going. Uh, I'm going to have giveaways exclusive for Patreon people, um, and I'm also going to have everything up there first. Podcasts, articles, all that goes on the website um, as soon as I'm finished with it. Now, without further ado, let's get into this this you know matchup slash breakdown of Saints Bucks week one and it really is an exciting game not only because you have two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game but you have two of the better rosters overall I know a lot's made about is Tampa Bay all hype or are they actually legit we're not going to know till they step on the field but what you can say on paper is that it's a really talented roster and you look over the Saints you already know what those boys have on that side you've seen the last three years what they're capable of doing in terms of making the playoffs making deep runs and winning a lot of games in the regular season which they definitely have done over the last three years now the injury report's interesting because both teams have a guy and in parentheses guys that I might say that they would want on the football field this Sunday and probably will not have. For the Saints, the two definites out of the lineup, Cesar Ruiz, the first-round pick from the 2020 NFL Draft, and Marcus Davenport's, a.k.a. two firsts, who Saints fans are fed up with in terms of his lack of durability, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But those are two starters who cannot play. So what does that mean for the New Orleans Saints? That means that Trey Hendrickson is going to start across from Cam Jordan, Uh, from what I've heard in terms of camp, Trey's looked great. He had a strong season last year in a backup role. So he's going to start and behind him will be Carl Granderson, who is a really talented player. Off field concerns really hurt him in terms of his draft evaluation, but he has a lot of talent and the saints are high on him. So if Hendrick, if, if, you know, Trey Hendrickson doesn't play well, you could see Carl Granderson in here. I expect him to play regardless of how Hendrickson performs in terms of rotation, but those are two quality backups for a really important position. So, again, no Davenport, 
no Ruiz, you start Hendrickson and you start um, Nick Easton at offensive guard replacing Ruiz. So that's going to be a really interesting dynamic for the Saints. As for the Buccaneers, they're also dealing with a big injury here. I know it's easy to get all sad and depressed and say, hey, look, the, the Saints are banged up. They don't have Davenport. They don't have Ruiz. They're screwed. The Buccaneers are probably not going to have Mike Evans, who was listed as doubtful. Now, look, you're listed as doubtful. There's always a chance you make a miraculous recovery over the weekend. Something happens. I don't know. You drink some holy water. You're good to go. And that might happen with Mike Evans. He might play on Sunday. You never know. But as of right now, if you're telling me, are you a betting man? I'm betting that he's not going to play. And why? It's a hamstring injury. It's week one. The Buccaneers have a lot of things to work out. This is not a team where they're in a must-win scenario. The Buccaneers, if they play Mike Evans and something goes wrong and he possibly tears his hamstring and out for the year, guess what? All those Super Bowl talks that you're having, they're gone without Mike Evans because he takes the top off of a defense. So you got to play it safe. And I'm not just saying that as someone who respects Mike Evans and says, hey, look, he's a legit threat against the Saints secondary. I'm talking about from a unbiased, you're just talking about it as a fan, as what you want to see from the long haul. You don't want Mike Evans to get hurt week one, and that's it. His season's over. So they got to play it smart. I think they're going to play it smart. He only practiced in limited uh, fashion on Friday, didn't practice at all on Thursday or Wednesday. I'd be stunned if he plays. So that means a lot of Chris Godwin and a lot of Scotty Miller uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And what's really interesting was apparently Mike Evans was the go-to guy for Brady throughout camp. I know he's got a lot of chemistry with Godwin, but apparently Evans was the guy where they said, hey, look, him and Brady are on a good level right now. You're going to see a lot from them, and you might at some point this year. I just don't think it's going to be week one because I do not think Mike Evans is going to play. So Saints fans cannot worry about that. Um, on, the, on the flip side, look, there is actually some – um, negative impact to Mike Evans not playing from a Saints perspective, and it's you don't get to see Lattimore versus Mike Evans. And the competitor, um, not just in Marshawn Lattimore, the competitor in fans probably want to see that because we've seen Lattimore and Evans have some classic battles with Lattimore having the upper hand in most of them, uh, and to not have that obviously stings. So we'll see them later on in the year go head-to-head, assuming that Evans can't play. Now, before I get into which matchups are going to dictate this outcome, uh, what to watch for, uh, do my little pep talk that I usually do before the season starts, and also give my prediction, I want to get to those Twitter questions you guys left me. Uh, You guys left me a good amount to get to, and I'm really excited to get through all of them. So let's start uh, with my man James over here asking, do you see Tampa playing primarily zone or man on Sunday? Also, in your mind, does the possibility of Tampa not having Evans or us not having Davenport hurt more? Um, so look, I talked about this on my previous podcast with John Ledyard, uh, Ledyard, who's one of the top Bucks reporters. He was talking about the way Tampa switched approaches. The first time they played the Saints, it was all man. The second time it was all zone and Breeze really picked them apart when it went to zone. I think they're going to play man. And what, from, it sounded like from John's perspective, it sounds like you might see Carlton Davis follow Michael Thomas a lot, which might not be the best matchup for Carlton Davis, but he is their top corner. Um, and then another guy to watch out in the Bucks secondary uh, would be none other than Sean Murphy Bunting, who's an emerging cornerback. He definitely has a lot of potential. I'm going to say man. I think they're going to go man coverage for the most part uh, because, look, if you sit back in zone and the Saints offensive line holds up, you are done. Drew Brees will pick you apart, especially when you don't have that talented of a secondary like Tampa Bay. Um, I think it could be a real issue. So I think it's going to be Tampa playing man. As for the Evans-Davenport question, I think Tampa not having Evans hurts more. Um, I know Davenport's a beast, um, and I know James specifically is someone who I've talked about, uh, talked with on Twitter about how good and dynamic Davenport can be this year. If healthy, 
But Mike Evans, again, that's a Pro Bowl, all-pro talent where Davenport, really good player, um, is not on that level. So it hurts more, in my opinion, for Tampa Bay to lose that because he really takes an element out of that offense. In terms of explosive playmaking ability, it's about Scotty Miller, and that's it right now for Tampa Bay. And I'm talking about explosive as in 20, 25 yards down the field on a vertical pass. Um, next question from Scotty Davis. Can Mike repeat this season, and what can we expect from the revamp defense? So I don't think Mike's going to repeat the season. It's so hard to have the numbers he had. I mean, you're talking about 149 catches, 1,700 receiving yards. Um, I still think his numbers are going to be really great. I think you're looking at 125 to 130 receptions, which is is nasty. I think 125 is the ballpark there. Uh, I think he's still going to have 1,500 receiving yards, and I think he's going to have uh, around that nine touchdown mark like he usually does. As for the revamp defense, look, it's not going to be the full thing yet because they don't have Davenport, and Davenport's such a unique player that I can't really fully judge the defense without him there because he really does cause fits for opposing offensive lines. Uh, I will say this about the defense, though. That secondary is something to watch for. This is a revamped look. The only guy who might not play is P.J. Williams. He's questionable. My gut feeling is he does play um, on 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 Sunday. So I, I think you're looking at what can Janoris Jenkins do? What does C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a.k.a. C.D. Deuce, do? Uh, is Patrick Robinson playing legit football in the slot? Is he playing well? Uh, and I think there's a lot of interesting things here. If P.J. Williams plays, he's listed as a free safety now on the roster. Does he play well? Um, so a bunch of questions here to talk about, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how all those guys play. And I think the revamped defense, especially the secondary, is going to play um, decent football, and it's going to be quite the test. This might be the deepest receiving corps they play all year. Um, so I'm really interested to see those guys. And I didn't mention it before, but Malcolm Jenkins, what does he look like in his first year back with the Saints? Really intrigued. Uh, I think we can expect a defense who will show flashes of greatness and at other times will show us why they're not exactly a top five unit because there are times where they play inconsistent football. So I'm expecting the usual Saints outing from this defense. Uh, next question from Cameron with the addition of new offense, offensive weapons like Sanders, Troutman, and a healthy Kamara. Uh, will this create even more opportunities for Michael Thomas, or should we expect his numbers to take a hit? I'm of the belief his numbers will drop down a little bit. I'm not of the belief that his numbers will just, you know, completely fall off. At the same time, all these weapons, like Cameron just mentioned in that question, it does make it easier for Michael Thomas. This is not about his numbers, because this, this season isn't going to be about what Michael Thomas posts in terms of his numbers. This is not about him breaking more records. This is about the Saints being a little bit more efficient on offense and not saying, hey, 13, can you bail us out time and time again, which he can if they need him to. But this is really a chance for Michael Thomas to be a little bit more than what he's been in the past, a chance to stretch out the field vertically a little bit more than what he's used to, uh, a chance to have a little bit more space on underneath routes and not constantly worry about bracket coverage because you have an Emmanuel Sanders and you have an Alvin Kamara who's healthy and a Jared Cook playing well. So I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think his numbers completely take a hit, but I do think they go down just a little bit. David asking, how's tackling going to look week one? I think you can get your answer by going back and looking at the Texans Chiefs game. And what I mean by that is I don't think it's going to be good. Remember, no preseason, no OTAs. Training camp was short this year compared to last year in terms of the whole off-season workout program. Uh, I think tackling is going to be bad league-wide. I don't think this is just a Saints issue. I think it's going to take a while before defenses get their footing underneath them. So I think that's going to be something to watch for for a while. Um, next question, do you think Trey Hendrickson can become the starter even after Davenport is back healthy because he gets too, uh, he gets hurt too much? 
Look, no. I think Trey Hendrickson's a really nice piece for the Saints defense. I think he's going to play well in relief duty. But when Davenport's good to go, guess what, guys? He is starting. And there's no question about it either. I mean, this is one of those simple things where I brought it up with Andrews Pete last year, who I know people can't stand sometimes. If Andrews Pete's healthy, you start Andrews Pete, not Nick Easton, because Andrews Pete is the better player. You might be frustrated with the injuries, and I get it, but he's the better player. So Marcus Davenport, in this case, is by far a better player than Trey Hendrickson. He's going to start the minute that he's ready to go and gets the clear uh, and the all-go from the uh, medical staff. So I'm not worried about that at all. For my good friend Monty, who has a really good show, the Monty, the full Monty Ball show, you guys should check it out. He asked, does Emmanuel Sanders catch 75 balls this year? And that's an interesting one. And I know a lot of fans are immediately going to say, yeah, no-brainer, he's going to catch 75 passes this year. I'm going to go no, and let me tell you why. Emmanuel Sanders played in 17 games last year. No, I'm kidding. 17 regular season games because he missed his bye week for the Broncos and the 49ers. So he played 17 games. He had 66 catches. Now, I know Drew Brees is better than Garoppolo um, and better than who he played with, was I believe, was Joe Flacco for the Broncos. But I don't think just because Drew Brees is a better quarterback, his numbers are going to shoot up to 75 receptions. I think he's going to have somewhere in the 60 ballpark, maybe like 62, 63. He is older. He is 33 years old, guys, and he hasn't had 75-plus receptions since 2016. So there is a gap there, and I think Emmanuel Sanders is a quality receiver, but I don't think Emmanuel Sanders at this stage in his career is out here to catch 75 passes for 1,000 yards. I think he's more of a 60 for 800 yards type guy, which is really efficient and really good numbers for a wide receiver too. Those are the numbers that I think he's going to have this season. And I could be wrong, but again, that's what I envision Emmanuel Sanders being in this offense. Dustin, do you think Davenport will finally have a breakout season? How far do you think our offense will take us with all the new additions? Do I think Davenport will have a breakout season? Look, I said prior to the injury... I said yes. So I think it's unfair if I just switch my stance now because he's hurt at the moment. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say, look, Davenport went healthy. The numbers are trending up uh, in terms of what Sean Payton said as far as him learning the system, him playing well in camp, trending up. So I'll stick with it. I'll stick with the fact that if Davenport gets back on the field, if he can play at least 13 games, I think he is going to have a very good season, like eight sacks, nine sacks, Uh, but he needs to be healthy. As for the other question, how far can the offense take them? I think it's actually a pretty loaded question because how is the offense going to look in the playoffs? Because in the regular season, I think this is going to be a top five offense. I think this offense is going to look really good at times, and there are going to be games where they can't be stopped, and you will see that this season. I'm sure of it. But I have a question for the Saints offense. Are they going to be able to adapt to the postseason-style grind where finesse isn't what wins you games. Running the football wins you games. Playing smart, methodical offense wins you games. Taking care of the football wins you games. I want to see what the Saints offense does in the playoffs because until they show me they can, I'm always going to be a little bit nervous. In the regular season, this is a top-five offense. This is one that will win games single-handedly at times. I have a little bit um, of, I would say, I don't want to say that I'm being you know, too judgmental, but I'm going to hold off before I crown this Saints offense as one that can just win them a Super Bowl. I need to see them perform in the playoffs. I need to see them run the football with efficiency in the playoffs. I need to see Drew Brees be better in the playoffs before I go all hyped out on this offense. Two more questions here. This one's more of a joke, but why is Davenport made of glass? Look, this is frustrating. And I don't know if it's good or I don't know if it's better or worse that it's an elbow injury. Because if it was a foot injury, we're having a totally different conversation here, and we're talking about how 
he's never going to recover from the foot injury he suffered last year. And then you have to start saying what a waste of two first round picks it was. Now it's an elbow injury. So you can take it and go either way. You can go, okay, now another part of the body's hurt and he's just completely made a glass. Or you can say, thank God it wasn't another foot injury. I don't know which way you guys are going to take it. I'm not going to advocate for either side because this is a really delicate situation. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with Davenport, but I'll put it this way. The Saints made a really strong push to get Clowney. This did not come out of nowhere. The Saints knew they needed him, especially for week one. They knew Davenport wasn't going to play, in my opinion. And now you are seeing the issue. It's not about Davenport's talent. It's not about what he can do in the football field. It's if he can get to the point where he's actually on the football field, which he hasn't done um, on a consistent basis. And this is really frustrating. I try to hold off from being, you know, for lack of a better word, being an ass about this whole situation because I don't want to be critical of a guy who's having injury problems because injuries are a part of the game. But at the same time, it is so frustrating because that is your 2018, and believe it or not, really your 2019 first-round picks. In one player. And it hasn't panned out for the Saints. It hasn't been working out. Um, and at this juncture, it doesn't look like it's going to work out for 2020 either. But we'll see if things change. Now, last question here. Uh, what's going on with Junior Gallette? How would you feel if we ended up signing him? This is what I'm thinking on the situation. I spoke to someone about it. They said it's not going to happen. I think he's trolling. I think he might be just going back to New Orleans in terms of like living situations going back to New Orleans. I cannot see a world where the Saints bring him into that locker room. The locker room is too strong. I... As someone who has spoken to Junior over the last couple of months, I don't know if Junior's ready to play football yet. Or I don't know if he will ever get be back to the point where he's ready to play football yet. I just think from a where he is right now, mentally, it's not where he needs to be. Especially on a Saints team where the goal right now is to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if he can come into this locker room and understand what the mission is. This is not a redemption tour for just you individually. This is not for you to say, hey, you guys blackballed me. This is not for you to say, let me get my numbers up. This is to win a Super Bowl. The locker room's strong. I would hate if he was on the Saints team. I will go as far to say that. And I don't think he's going to sign with the Saints. I've been told it's not going to happen. Um, so I think right now it's just another troll job from Junior Gallette. But I will give him credit for, for getting people's attention on that. He's very excellent uh, in that regard. So props to him for once again fooling the Houdat Nation. Now with the Twitter questions all but done at this point, let's get into some matchups that are going to dictate this game. Because look, this is one of those games where one matchup is not going to decide who comes out with a victory on Sunday. There's just too much talent, too many big names, uh, that it's going to take a group effort from both sides. But what I really want to see, more than anything else, how does Tristan Wirfs, the rookie offensive tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, handle Cam Jordan? Imagine being a rookie, and your first game is against one of the best defensive ends out there, and guess what? Not only are you going up against one of the best defensive ends, your objective is to protect the best quarterback of all time. I know you guys are going to get offended that I said Brady's the best of all, uh, quarterback of all time, but I'm not here to debate that. That is his objective. His objective is to protect the six-time Super Bowl champ, Tom Brady. That's not easy. The nerves will kick in at some point. The nerves would definitely kick in all game if there was a, a full crowd there in the Superdome. Obviously, no fans for this one. That definitely helps out the rookie just a little bit. But either way, he's still going up against Cam Jordan, and he still has to protect Brady. And if he doesn't, it's going to be a long day because you have to hear from Brady. You have to hear from the coaching staff. You're going to have a little bit of self-guilt that you're letting that 43-year-old legendary quarterback get hit. What happens there? Because I saw Wirfs at Iowa. I thought he was outstanding, and I thought Tampa Bay got great value with where they got him, I believe, the 13th pick. I thought it was a steal. But this is not the Big Ten. This is the NFC. 
this is one of the better defensive lines in terms of depth in the league. And this is one of the defenses that really schemes up pressure pretty well. The Saints have done a good job of getting after the quarterback over the last couple of years. Dennis Allen continues to improve in that department. And like I mentioned, it's Cam freaking Jordan. Cam Jordan is one of the best defense players in the league. He has not showed any signs of slowing down. He looks like he's actually getting better with age at this point in his career. And now Wirfs has to stop him. If Wirfs cannot stop him, the Saints are going to win this game. Like it's, it's almost that simple in the fact that if Wirfs has no answer against Cam Jordan, the Bucs are screwed because Tom Brady's not going to run around. He's not mobile. He's there to sit in the pocket, read the defense, two seconds, get the ball out. And if he doesn't have that opportunity, then it's going to be a really, really long night for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that is one matchup that you guys have to pinpoint. Tristan Wirfs, the rookie from Iowa, against Cam Jordan. The second one for me, can the interior O-line for the Saints hold up? And this is a really, really shaky matchup, just like it is a shaky matchup for the uh, Saints uh, in terms of Cam Jordan versus Tristan Wirfs. Now you're flipping it. This is where the Bucs are probably in the driver's seat here. You got Vita Vea, Ndamukong Sue, William Golston, Jason Pierre-Paul, all those big names right there, all those really, really um, massive and powerful guys on the defensive line in the trenches going up against a trio of Eric McCoy, Nick Easton, and Andrews Pete, which is not that good in my opinion. Uh, I think not having Ruiz Hurts, again, that's a starting offensive lineman just out for week one, definitely not ideal. And if the Saints let the Bucs get interior push, that is one way, similar to the way how Tampa Bay can get really messed up if Tristan Wirfs doesn't win his matchup, that is one way you slow down the Saints' offense entirely. If you get interior pressure on a Drew Brees, you really break down the game because Drew Brees' whole uh, mythology is not just to you know, pick you apart like a surgeon. He loves to step up in the pocket. There is probably not a quarterback, in my opinion, um, Right now in today's NFL, because we've seen Peyton Manning climb up the pocket so well, in today's NFL, Drew is the best at climbing up the pocket. And I'm talking about his footwork, three steps, move up, let it rock, let it, you know, rip. And if he doesn't have that, you know, availability, well, guess what? If the interior is breaking down, now this opens up everything for guys like Shaq Barrett on the, uh, the exterior over there to get some pressure as well. And that can be a big issue for the Saints. So can the interior hold up against Vea and Adamic and Sue? I really want to see what happens there. And remember, that NFC wildcard game against the Vikings, Minnesota's pressure from the interior is what won them that game. Drew Brees had no time to throw. He looked flustered. He fumbled the football in a crucial situation. Everson Griffin was destroying, um, excuse me, Everson Griffin and uh, Daniel Hunter were destroying Larry Warford and Andrews Pete. And now it's Andrews Pete and Nick Easton, which probably isn't as good as uh, Andrews Pete and Larry Warford, and in my opinion, is definitely not as good as Andrews Pete and Cesar Ruiz. So this is a legitimate concern for the Saints. You have to show that you learned from that Vikings game. You learned how to control the interior up, you know, in the trenches. You're not going to let Breeze get hit because if they do, similar to what I said for the Bucs, it'll be a long night for Breeze if he can't move around the pocket and get to where he needs to go and let that ball rip. So that's definitely something that I want to watch uh, very closely. And one that I think is going under the radar a little bit, and I don't get how, but let me talk about it because I've not heard a lot of people talk about this matchup yet. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight ends versus the New Orleans Saints linebacking core and DBs. What happens here? Because, look, I don't know how Gronk is going to look. 
I personally think it would be a mistake to come out of retirement. What, what the hell do I know? Maybe he actually plays well this year. But it's not just Gronk. It's Gronk. It's O.J. Howard. It's Cameron Brait. You can't find a team in the league that has three tight ends of those of that stature. You know, uh, Obviously, there are better tight ends in the league, like a Kelsey, a Kittle, a Waller, and those boys over there. But in terms of depth, the Tampa Bay Bucks have a lot of depth at tight end. And this is going to be a challenge for the Saints. We've seen years where they've struggled against this position. Lately, they've been good because of DeMario Davis. And I'm sure DeMario Davis will take on the challenge of a Gronk or a O.J. Howard. But now what happens in that other spot? You can only, if I'm saying, look, DeMario Davis takes out one of them, there's still two more you have to figure out, which means you're either going to have P.J. Williams match up against one of them, or you're going to have Malcolm Jenkins match up against one of them, or you can go as bold as you want to put in C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who I think, by the way, is going to have a nice season. And he played pretty well against tight ends last year. The numbers will show you if you take out that Kittle game. He played pretty well against that position. So take him out against the best tight end in the league. He did a good job covering that group. So the Saints have the options. Now it's about execution. And the one thing I know about Brady is he loves to throw to tight ends. You see it all the time. We've seen it with Gronk. Even when Gronk went down, we've seen it with uh, Martellus Bennett. We've seen it with, you know, uh, the late Aaron Hernandez. We have seen it with a bunch of different guys. Even when Ben Watson went back to New England, it worked out. He loves that position. He really loves that position. That's a security blanket. And when the Saints played the Patriots in 2017, now this is going way back. Brady was better. Gronk was better at that era. The Saints had no answer for Gronkowski. I don't think Gronkowski is going to be as good as he was in 2017, obviously, but there is a legit concern in terms of tackling. How do they bring down the big man? Marcus Williams is not bringing him down. So either DeMario's got to get the job done, PJ's got to get the job done, or Malcolm's got to get the job done. Those are the three that I probably trust the most in terms of bringing down Gronk. O.J. Howard, what happens with him? He's such an intriguing talent. He has not played well over the course of his career, but with the Tom Brady, this might be the opportunity for him to have a breakout season. So can the Saints stop him? In years past, they have, but this is a different different Tampa Bay team, to say the least. I think this is one of those teams where, with Brady, you never know. There's an X factor, this tight end group. It might not work out, but he's going to give it a go on Sunday, and he's going to throw to that position group. So I'm really, really interested to see what happens there. I'm interested to see what happens with Wirfs versus Cam Jordan. And like I said, can Easton and Andrews Pete hold up against Vea and Adamic and Sue? Those are three matchups that I'm really, really looking interested uh, and looking at with both eyes, obviously, uh, because they might decide that game between the Saints and the Bucks. Now, before I wrap up this podcast, I got to give out my prediction. Before I do that, got to talk about this game and why this game is important. Now, look, it is very easy to say week one, you know, you lose. Go to week two, you get it over with, you get a win in week two, all the damage is erased. And for some people, that's right. This is not one of those years. The Saints lose in week one, and the shit show that will come out of that loss will be so unbearable for the team, unbearable for the fans, unbearable for the coaches, that it might take a while for that to not linger. It might take until the next Bucks game for it to not linger. And what I mean by this is if the Buccaneers do win, on Sunday. The headlines will read Tampa Bay Super Bowl bound or Tampa Bay validates Super Bowl, um, you know, uh, all the Super Bowl talk or Tampa Bay, the new king of the South. And there will be such, you know, ridiculous reactions. Overreaction Monday will be at an all-time high. Is, you know, Brady the king of the NFC South? Uh, Will Brady take Tampa Bay to the promised land? You can just write all those stories down. And if the Saints win, 
all the Tampa Bay hype will still be there, but it will be a statement. And that statement will be, this is not the AFC East. This is not a division where Tom Brady gets cakewalks against a Josh Allen Bills team or back then a Rex Ryan Mark Sanchez Jets team or a Miami Dolphins team that has been so dysfunctional for the past couple of years, you need about two pages just to write down all the quarterbacks that have been on their team. It isn't like that. It's a New Orleans Saints team that has won the division three straight years. It's a Panthers team that looks on the rise um, with their coaching staff with Matt Rule. And a Falcons team, which granted has only won seven games over the last couple seasons, still has an MVP quarterback, still has an amazing talent in Julio Jones, and they're no slouch. And if you can beat Tampa Bay, this is sending a message to that team. This is not going to be a cakewalk. And look, Tampa Bay still might be a playoff team, even if they lose week one. I don't think week one, a week one loss for a team like the Bucs does not mean anything for me. But a win for the Saints validates that they are still one of the legitimate teams in the NFC. You lose that game, and we're going to have a real conversation here about what's going on. And it might not even be true, the things that they will say, but it will be frustrating. And the Saints are going to have to do their best to stay away from all the media clippings and everything going out there and keep their head underground and not see what's being put out there in the media because that could hurt that team. So it's really simple. If the Bucks win, God help us all on Monday. It will be unbearable. If the Saints win, that's it. We expected it. And that's the way it's supposed to be with a Super Bowl caliber team. You're supposed to do your job, take care of business on Sunday, act like it was just an ordinary weekend on Monday. For the Bucs, if they lose, it's not a big deal. This is their first game with a bunch of new pieces. They are versing one of the more, uh, in terms of camaraderie, one of the strongest teams in the league. They're on the road. They don't have Mike Evans, at least. That's what it looks like. There are reasons for them to lose. For the Saints, there's not a lot of reasons to lose other than, hey, guess what? We don't play well on week one, but that's not an excuse anymore. There is no reason why the Saints should not be ready to play football on week one. All season, all offseason, excuse me, they have heard nonstop Tom Brady is going to take the Bucs to the Super Bowl. This is the, the, the Tampa Bay's division to lose. They have heard that nonstop. If that doesn't infuriate you to the point where week one you are not ready to play with your ass on fire, then I don't know what will, okay? Because last year, the Saints were lucky to win week one. Lucky. And if Drew Brees and that offense doesn't just pull out a crazy drive with 30 seconds left, they would have started off 0-1 and then would have started off 0-2 after that Rams loss. And we know the years before who they've lost to on opening day. They've been destroyed by the uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Bucks. They have lost a bunch of stinkers, a Monday night football game to the Vikings, to name one, to name a few. They have not played well on opening day in years past. It needs to change. It needs to change. And if they don't come out playing inspired football, then I am worried what is going to, like, what they're going to have to overcome this year is going to be annoying. It's going to be brutal. Look, they could still overcome it. Look, I'm not here to tell you if the Saints lose, the sky is falling. I'm here to tell you if they lose, there is a lot of questions that they're going to have to deal with. There are a lot of questions they're going to have to deal with if they lose this game. That being said, and I make my prediction every week, if I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong the next day. If I'm right, I don't gloat about it. I just celebrate the win. My prediction for this game, 27-21 Saints, and here's why. This is a team, like I said, had all offseason to deal with this bullshit, had a lot of 
tough conversations to handle in the locker room. And I think there are teams that would have been broken by it, but it seems like the Saints have gotten stronger by it. And that's a testament to the leadership there. They did not lose a lot of important pieces. This is Drew Brees' last season. He can say whatever he wants. We all know it's his last season. It's now or never. It is now or never. Your opportunity to win a Super Bowl is so small, the window slams shut at any moment. And it might slam shut this year. We don't know. But for now, it's still open. They need to capitalize. This is the week to send a statement to the rest of the NFL, specifically to your division, and specifically to number 12 on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that the NFC South is not the AFC East. It's not a walk in the park. You can't mess around and then win the division because everyone else is incompetent. You have to earn that division crown. And I think the Saints will win this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. But I think when it's all said and done, I think they're going to start the season 1-0. And then on Monday, hopefully, we could talk about what adjustments they need to make after that game and how they can improve and possibly move to 2-0. But let's not get too far ahead. It's going to be a great, great matchup. Uh, I will be live tweeting it per usual. I will probably do updates uh, at halftime and post-game and probably pre-game as well for you guys. Uh, I'll let you know where I put up that audio um, for you. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this game. Do you think it's going to be one where the Saints win? Are you on the side where you think the Saints are going to start off 0-1? Which I know a lot of people um, who do think they're going to start off 0-1. So you would not be really in the minority there. You'd probably be 50-50 down the middle in terms of where people are picking this game. But look, I think the Saints have a lot to lose. They know that. Um, So I think they're going to play inspired football uh, on Sunday. Um, But again, anything could happen. Any given Sunday for a reason. This is a weird year. A really, really weird year. I mean, it's going to be an empty Superdome. If that doesn't basically put into words and and perfectly uh, capitalize how weird this year has been, then I don't know what will uh, for you guys. But anyway, I want to thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Ended up doing three episodes this week. I think that's going to be the norm for the regular season. If you guys want more, you let me know. I will put out as much content as possible, but three seems like a reasonable amount um, during the season for you guys, uh, at least for now. But obviously, things are subject to change. If you want more content, I obviously will put out more for the Houdat Nation. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Let's hope the Saints start the, the season with a victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That would be quite the gift to start the 2020 season. But until then, guys, I wish you all the best, and I look forward to speaking to you guys next week on the Straight Up Saints podcast.